0: On this episode, we party in East Lansing like it's 2015. Michigan State football and basketball teams both come off of top 10 wins in the last three days. What does that mean for the current state of the basketball program and the future of the football program? Is this basketball team really better than last year's, and does this prove Mel Tucker is for real? That's all next on the Michigan State of Sports. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Michigan State of Sports where you know it's not going well, but I like to talk about it anyway. As always, I'm your host, Tony Garcia, and it's been about three weeks with that as my opening tagline, and I might have to ditch it. I mean, I can't fully ditch it because the four Detroit sports are all objectively bottom five teams in their league, and Michigan football is a joke. So that's five of our eight teams that we discuss on this show in a really, really tough situation. But as someone who went to Michigan State and follows those teams, it's really hard to say and feel like things aren't going really well. Because damn, are things going well right now. Michigan State football and basketball, about 48 hours apart, just beat top eight teams in the country in their sports. And that doesn't happen very often for any school. And when it does, it kind of feels like a good chunk of the time it's Michigan State doing it. Other teams that might do that in recent years, as I was thinking about it, are like Baylor, Wisconsin, Oklahoma maybe, Florida maybe, Oregon maybe. But the Dukes, the Kansases, and the Kentuckys who are consistently doing it in hoops aren't doing it in football. And the Ohio States, Alabamas, and Clemsons that are doing it in football don't do that in basketball. It's really not common to have that happen two days apart. And that's why you're feeling good if you're a Michigan State fan. But this episode is not about comparing and contrasting. This is about the fact that probably six of the first nine episodes, we are now on episode 10, have had to be negative in some fashion or another. Either it's talking about the Lions need to get rid of, or now finally having gotten rid of Patricia and Quinn, or how Harbaugh has lost the locker room, or how the Pistons need to get the draft right because they're so horrible. But today, it's about drinking that forest green kool-aid that spartan green we are chest pounding with a big spartan helmet right on the left breast we are sitting back and admiring what two major michigan state athletic programs have done this week and furthermore we're spinning them forward for what it means for the future i'm going to start with basketball because last night for so many michigan state fans was a religious experience we're going to go through the lineup uh, and, and the predictions that we had coming in and now that we've seen three games, it's time to readjust expectations for, for this Michigan State basketball team and then we're talking football. If they play Ohio State what to expect? I don't I don't know if they do um, and then Penn State crossover just what what a, how you could wrap up the season and feel really really good about where things happen or about where things are going because this season for Michigan State, football has had extremely high highs and some pretty darn low lows so what 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 is this team actually and this program actually and before we begin as always please rate review subscribe and share this podcast with some local michigan sports fans in your life if all of you who are listening this episode share it with just one michigan state fan you know and i know you know them Uh, then that's going to help double this podcast and we can start ballooning it and it's really going to take off. The more followers this has, the more fun it becomes for everybody involved and thanks to everybody who has already listened loyally, it's really appreciated and to anybody who is here for the first time, welcome. So with that, we begin with Tuesday Night's Mass, so graciously hosted by Duke University on Coach K Court at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham, North Carolina. That was the site of Michigan State's first road game for whatever road games are worth this year where the spartans beat duke 75 69 to improve to 3 and 0 on the season it was the program's first win at cameron izzo says there's no asterisk there is i mean it's not the same thing as beating duke with fans there but for what it's worth i think michigan state wins that game last night even with fans there but they weren't there and it's also the first time they beat Duke in the Champions Classic. They were 0-3 at Cameron prior, and 0-3 in the Champions Classic prior. And slowly but surely, Izzo is sort of turning this tide in this rivalry that was not a rivalry to begin. Izzo was 1-11 in the first 12 meetings against Coach K, and over the last 20 months, he's 2-1. And for the second straight game this season, much like the 80-70 to victory over Notre Dame, the score for Michigan State does not nearly tell the score of the game. Michigan State had a 28-point lead against Notre Dame before coasting home, and they had a 16-point lead against Duke in the second half, and an 11-point lead in the final minute, minute and a half, before some last-minute threes changed the look of the final score. But honestly, this game was never in doubt after the first 10 minutes when Michigan State got its head out of its you-know-what. And in some ways, these two games, Michigan's against Duke and against Notre Dame, they were the same recipe, but in different ways. And I know I know that sounds weird, but I'm going to explain it. And my main takeaway from both of them, because you can't take anything away from Eastern, but through three games, I think I have the boldest takeaway you can possibly have. And that's that this year's team is better than last year's. And it probably has a higher ceiling than the 2018 team. And that's the team that slayed Zion Williamson and Duke to get to the final four. The two best players on last year's team, Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, would still be the best two players on this year's team. But the way the pieces fit together this year is better than last year. They were too dependent last year on them. And that is not a knock on last year's team that won the program's third straight Big Ten title and was rounding into form extremely nicely as March rolled around and COVID wiped out the tournament. I mean, they had won four straight games versus ranked opponents, We're hitting their stride, and we're a trendy pick to win it all. And a lot of the pieces this year are the same pieces. But this year is different. You can see it immediately. If you watch college basketball, you can see it. Tuesday's game was the perfect storm for Michigan State because there were a handful of teachable moments that Izzo can do what he loves to do and yell and scream about and talk about how Michigan State can't get too ahead of itself and there's so much more they can do, which is true. I mean, there was a, a horribly slow start, careless turnovers by Rocket Watts, missed free throws, Hauser getting into foul trouble, but all that happened, and you come off of a win. You still get the win, and there's still so much to improve on. And I mean, really, really think about it. Michigan State's best player, Joey Hauser, was in foul trouble the whole first half. Their second best player, Rocket Watts, had a horrendous first 15 minutes. They fell behind Duke, a team that Izzo has never beaten the regular season, by double digits, five minutes in. And then, just like against Notre Dame, over that middle 15 to 20 minutes, in this game it was from like the 10 minute mark of the first half to the 12 minute mark of the second half, they went on a 45 to 20 run, and just blew the game open. They were down by four against Notre Dame, 26 to 22, before they scored 26 straight to turn that one into a laugher. But we're only talking, we're really talking about Duke. I'm just trying to make the parallels between the two games because it's slow start, explode in the middle, impose your will, and just kind of cruise to the finish line. And that's what Michigan State did twice. And it's not like Michigan State played some flawless game, it's not like they executed perfectly and did everything they possibly could to eke out a win against Duke. They were, in my opinion, fairly pedestrian, they played fine. They shot 43% from the field, and 25% from range, and 64% from the stripe. And still there wasn't a moment in the second half where you thought Michigan State was going to lose. They did what Duke has done to Michigan State so many times in the reverse. They walked into school, took the little kids lunch money, and walked home with a full stomach. I mean, they just manhandled Duke. And that's because this team is different. You can see it and they haven't even reached their peak. And the way you know, like the way you know, know, is over the last five years or so, Michigan State leads the country consistently in assists per game. Or at worst, their top three. That's, that's what they do. That is how they facilitate their offense. They move the ball. And, and that's what they want to do this year. That is ideally who they will be this year. There's not going to be a Cassius Winston who, like last year, averaged seven assists a game or six and a half, and the year before averaged eight. It's going to be a a handful of people averaging between three and five. But Michigan State, against Notre Dame, had 26 assists on 30 buckets. That's when Michigan State is at their best. But Duke was changing passing angles and using its athleticism to disrupt what Michigan State wanted to do. Michigan State only had 9 assists, 9 on 26 field goals. I can just about guarantee that is the fewest they will have in a game all year this year. There is not another game where they will have fewer than 10 assists. And they still put up 75 points because they have what they haven't had in so many years past, and that's guys who can get you a bucket one-on-one. And you don't want that to have to be the case if you watch that Kansas-Kentucky game afterwards. You saw, that's all Kentucky had. They didn't have an assist in the second half. Maybe one in the final two minutes, but 18 minutes in, they didn't do it. They were just athletes playing one-on-one. That's not what Michigan State is. But if you get in a late shot clock situation, that's what they can be. And it's nice knowing that you have that as a backup. In 2018, Josh Langford was the guy who could do that for you. When things broke down, he could take you off the dribble or pull up and create separation and get a bucket. Now he's, what, fourth on the team on that list in, in, of guys who can do that? Maybe fifth? And more than that, this year's team is about depth and interchangeable pieces. It's this weird combination of guys with experience... Combined with guys who can do everything... Combined with guys who have very specific roles and specializations. If everybody can do everything on a team then nobody has an assigned role. And if everybody is good at very specific things, it's easy to take, them, take that away. But when you have that combination that works hand-in-hand hand with one another, it's really hard to stop. And Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, and Joey Hauser change the scales for Michigan State in every facet of the game. And I want to go through what each one of them does, piece by piece, that we have seen now. Because preseason, when I had Graham on, who did a wonderful job breaking down the season with me, we didn't quite know what's Aaron Henry going to be now that he has to be more of a leader. How's Rocket going to transfer to to the one instead of just just, playing combo guard? We hadn't seen Joey Hauser play a minute in in a Michigan State uniform. We've now seen all three of them play three games, and we know what they're going to be this year or see what they can be. And we'll start with Aaron Henry, who was 7-of-21 from the field had 14 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks. As a team, Michigan state had three, six steals and three blocks. Aaron Henry had all the blocks and half of the steals. He is everywhere on defense. He's coming off the weak side and getting blocks and then corralling it. So it's not like he's just swatting it out of bounds, but actually making it a turnover. He's done that twice in as many games. I mean, on offense you see him run the point like in the second half when Michigan State thought that maybe Rocket was getting too ahead of himself at times you you give the ball to a 6-6 wing who is good enough at, ha- at handling the press break and I mean he, I mean he can't he's not a one-man 94-foot press break guy but you can trust him with the ball in his hands anywhere on the court and the most important part I thought of what happened Tuesday is that he took 21 shots Of course, making 33% is not ideal. And scoring 14 points on 21 field goals is far from the efficiency you would like. But either of the last two years, he wouldn't take 21 shots in his wildest dreams. He didn't have that between the ears. He couldn't... I mean, A, that wasn't what was required of him. And B, even if it was, he would have shied away from it. He took a career-high 14 against LSU as a freshman in the sweet 16 game. And then he took 13 in the season finale against Ohio state last year. Those were the most shots he'd ever taken in games. And he took seven more shots than that on Tuesday night. I mean, he scored six straight early in the game when Michigan state was down 13 to three, because rocket was playing out of his mind and out of control and nobody else was hitting from the outside. He knew his job as a leader even if he's not a natural scorer, was to take over. And that's what he did. In game one versus Eastern, he took three shots, three, and tied with a career-high seven assists because that's what he felt like he needed to do on that night. He can mold his game to what the team needs on any given night. And there is not a single player in the country, not one at his position that he can't match up with on the other end of the court. He can guard one through four, anybody. And Aaron Henry is going to be a first-round pick next year. And if he's not, it's going to be just like with X this year. Where you say, wow, Memphis just got a steal in the second round. And that's why they signed him to a four-year deal. X, that is. Because they know they got a steal. That's going to be the same thing with Aaron next year. Defense travels. And even when you have an off-night shooting the ball... Because he's not a great shooter. He's a fine shooter. But that's not his game. And even when you're only making 7 of 21 shots... He was the best player on the court, and it wasn't close. And then there's Rocket Watts, or I think we need to officially adopt the name Roller Coaster Watts. And a lot of people call him a roller coaster because of the ups and downs. But I think he's more like a roller coaster, more specifically, because there's moments where you think you're going to die, but as and and on that initial ascent. You you slowly like, start crying to yourself because you think you're going to puke. But as you go along and you settle into the ride, you realize it's actually extremely fun. And you're smiling the majority of the time. And you are almost always satisfied at the end. That's Rocket. He was dreadful to begin the game on Tuesday. He had more turnovers than assists for the first time all season. But he was, and is, a one-man show when he wants to be. He blew by... Jeremy Roach, on multiple occasions getting to the basket at ease. I mean, just, just dribble blow-bys, no problem. He, he would catch an outlet pass and hit a 8-foot floater coming in from a 45-degree angle at the hoop. I mean, he hit some transition buckets two in a row after Michigan State fell down 25-18 to to get him back within three points, a layup, then a mid-range jumper in transition. And at that point, you just felt like he could do whatever he wanted. He scored a game-high 20 points. And it felt like he played his B game. That wasn't even his A game. He still has room. And for anybody who's not Michigan State, that's extremely scary. In the last part of the dynamic trio, the most dynamic trio in the Big Ten, is Joey Hauser. Newsflash, he can shoot. <laughs> and I said it briefly when I spoke about Michigan State on the last pod just Saying how I wanted to mention all the positives in case things went sideways at Duke. Just because I didn't want to become too jaded based on what happened in one game. But, I mean, he had an even worse start than Rocket. And not because he was playing badly, but because he couldn't stay on the court. He picked up two fouls in the first three minutes of the game. And he ultimately fouled out, so he only got to play 23 minutes in total. But he was an efficient 4 of 6 from the field. And had another ho-hum double-double. That's just what he does. He's averaging 12-12, and 12, despite only playing 23 minutes per game through the first three games. And, I mean, he's just special. He is a college coach's dream. Some of the moves he was making last night, pump fakes that don't quite fully beat a defender, but then just finishing with a lefty baby hook from six feet. And then, I mean, that's an unbelievable touch. Then stepping out on the wing and hitting open threes even knowing how to space the floor in transition as a big man to make that an open look from the corner is more than most most bigs do. And he's not the most athletic guy on the court. He has a ways to go with his defense, but not with his rebounding. I mean, he has fully replaced Tillman by himself as a rebounder. And that was one of my biggest questions coming in to the season. Who was going to be that leading rebounder? And I think Hauser has said it's going to be him. And he has equivalently versatile skills on the offensive end. I mean, he is 12-12 and right now while shooting 22% from three and 60% from the line. He shot 42% from three and 79% from the line as a freshman at Marquette. So once Water finds its level, he's going to be more along those lines. And I think he's going to average somewhere around 15-16 points per game and 9 rebounds a game. And he can, and there, there's no matchup that can take him out of his game on, on offense. He can step out and shoot it, and he can finish around the rim with either hand. He's savvy, he's smart, and he wasn't even passing. He is the best passing big on this team. He only had, a, I believe, one assist in the game. And that's a huge weapon that he has at his disposal. And those are, I mean, those are Michigan State's big three. But that's still not what makes this team truly special. It's the other seven players who can rotate that make this team special because on any given night, it can be anybody. And on Tuesday, it was Malik Hall and Julius Marble. Those three big men, Hauser, Hall, and Marble, scored 33 points on 11 of 16 shooting from the field and 9 of 12 from the line. Malik Hall had his first career double double. Julius Marble didn't miss a shot and scored a career high 12 points with five rebounds. And let's, and and though, I mean, when we're talking about those two sophomores, let's start with Hall. Because to me, he feels like Kenny Goins. But instead of being a senior, he's a sophomore, who, by the way, is going to stay all four years. He was thrown into the fire last year and asked to do more than he was capable of. Just like Kenny in 2016. And now later on in his career. It's paying immediate dividends. Other than missing. Two free throws. That he was awarded. Because he was flagrantly fouled. On his breakaway dunk. He didn't do anything wrong. He made his other six free throws. He was two of five from the field. But none of those shots were forced. And he had a team high. Four offensive rebounds and two assists. He. He didn't. He wasn't overmatched when he was on defense, and he grabbed any rebound in sight. I mean, Michigan State rebounded so well yesterday. Out-rebounded an athletic Duke team 46-40, to and that was one of the question marks of this team. And then you have Marble, who in the first two games couldn't even crack the rotation. But Izzo saw that he brought something to the court that Kithier didn't in this game, and that's strength and athleticism. So he got 12 minutes and Kithier only got five instead of probably the other way around, where Kithier normally gets 16, 17, and Marble maybe gets two or three, like in the first few games. And like we said earlier, he didn't miss a shot. I didn't know he had that 16-foot mid-range jump shot. I mean, I don't know if Izzo wants him taking that shot that he took late at the end of the first half, but he hit it. And to know that he can step out a little bit and knock it down, that's impressive. And he's going to get more playing time in the future. I mean, the worry was there might not be room in this rotation for him. There is. (laughs) There is definitely room in the rotation for him. And that's because of the versatility that we talked about earlier with Hauser and Rocket and Henry. Hauser can play the four or the five. So if you want Hall on the court, and you do, (laughs) trust me, you do, you can go small ball. You have Rocket at the one, Langford at the two, Henry at the three. Hall at the 4 and Hauser at the 5. Or if you want to go bigger, you have Bingham or Marble or Kithier at the 5 and put Hauser at the 4. Hauser can play 4 and 5. Henry can play 1 through 3. <laughs> 1 through 3, easy enough for me to say. Gabe Brown can play 2 through 4. Malik Hall can play 3 through 5. Rocket can play either guard spot. There are so many areas and so many athletic and versatile pieces on this team That they can match up with anybody. Anybody. And in years past, they didn't have answers for small ball lineups. Or vice versa. In the 2016 round of 32, when they played Kansas, and they couldn't get a rebound because they were just too small. Those days are past. Like we said, Michigan State just out-rebounded an athletic Duke team, and they held them to 32% from the field and 22% from three. And if you count or discount the final two threes that Duke made when the game was already decided. Duke shot more like 14% from long range. There are still going to be growing pains. And Isa will be stubborn some nights and make guys figure it out and play through rough patches. And he won't play rotations everybody wants to see because he wants to make sure he's still optimizing his lineup. But this team appears to be, and I'm just going to say it like a statement, this team is matchup proof. Michigan State wasn't better than Duke when they won in the Elite Eight. That was a matchup they probably realistically win two, maybe three times out of ten. They could hang on the court with that team in all ten, but they didn't have the guys or the athletes Duke had. This year, they do. They do. That was not a game where you rely on Cassius Winston to have 22 and 10 and make seven of eight free throws and spark a run, and and you get you got your two seniors, uh, Matt McQuaid who has a exciting breakaway dunk to get his confidence up, and then Kenny who doesn't make a shot all day makes the hero shot. Michigan State didn't have anyone play a great game, and they won easily. And I didn't even get into talking about how Foster Lawyer is officially a usable piece. Like a genuine guy you can count on in the rotation. Or how Bingham's incredible ceiling that, that you can see that he flashed the first few games. Or Langford, who had a rough night and only took two shots. But he can still get you 10-15 to 15 on some nights. And is a leader. And was elected a three-year captain for a reason. You will need him at points. There's just a depth to this team that we haven't seen this before. And that's the most fun. That's what is the most fun. And I want to end by saying this, and with the basketball portion of this. Tom Izzo is the best coach in America. And do you know who's second? Because he wasn't on that court last night. That's Mark Few. And third is Jay Wright. Don't Don't give me this Coach K, this dollar bill self... Coach Cal, Roy Williams, crap. I don't don't see those guys as the elite coaches anymore. I'm sorry. Not anymore. Coach K got sucked into the one-and-done trap. All of them did, really. And now they have to turn over their rosters every year. What coaching did K do last night? What sets was Duke running? Not that you have to run offensive sets. But what were they running? What counters did he have for Michigan State? When Izzo knew he needed Rocket more than Foster to start this game, he flipped He flipped the starters. He saw Kithier early on, couldn't hold up physically, so he put in Marble, and he let Bingham take a few cracks too. He wanted the ball in, in Henry's hands when he thought Rocket was going too quickly, so he put the more experienced guy at the point. Aaron Henry had never played point guard before that. Izzo is the puppet master. He is the best coach in the country right now. And last night in that matchup, It wasn't particularly close. I'm not saying all time. Izzo still has one title, and Coach K still has five. Coach K has owned this rivalry, but he's always had better players. Now that Izzo, the last few years, has had some guys who can match up, the one time Duke has won in the last three years came a week after Cassius Winston's brother died. And and the team was in disarray. And one one more thing. Michigan State fans who were so excited about the possibility of next year's class, with Aikens and Christie and Pierre Brooks, and oh what if Omani Bates and Enoch Boache reclassify. That team won't be this team. I certainly not if Hauser, Henry, and Rocket all lead for the draft. It's gonna be a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. But you need guys like Henry, who have molded their game at the college level, coupled with guys like Rocket, who Are athletic enough, probably, to be one and done, but certainly not ready after their first year and need to stick around to figure it out? And as you look at this year, Illinois is going to be a damn tough team to beat. Wisconsin is always well coached and has a senior heavy lineup that's going to make some noise. I hate Iowa's defense, but Luka Garza is unstoppable. I mean, you can slow him, but without X, nobody is locking him down one-on-one. I don't care about any of that if I'm Michigan State. I am officially picking Michigan State to win the Big Ten. I needed to see it to believe it. And I saw it. So I buy it. The team is scary. And it's because of everything it hasn't been before. Athletic, versatile, interchangeable pieces. Cassius was the best guard in the league last year. X was the best big man in the league last year. But you couldn't really put Cassius off the ball, not and have an optimal lineup. You couldn't move X at both the four and the five. He's better at one of them. This year, I mean, and I didn't even mention Gabe Brown, who was quiet last night, but is probably the best three-point shooter on the team outside of Foster. I mean, the depth on this team is scary, and that's why it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, as far as football. It's not quite where the basketball team is. Not quite. I'm not making any statements about Big Ten titles or, or rosters or depth or anything like that. But I've seen enough to know that I trust Mel Tucker. It's been a few days, some busy days in local sports, and we've had to get into the Lions and all their major decisions, and now MSU Hoops coming off of a huge win and a, and a big start that feels like it means a lot as far as this season goes. So it's easy to lose a little bit of the momentum from Saturday afternoon. And because it's a name like Northwestern, and it doesn't feel the same to some as Penn State or Wisconsin, Michigan State still just beat a top 10 team that deserved to be a top 10 team coming into the game. That was an extremely sound football team. And there are three teams in the country that right now have wins over two teams that remain ranked. Alabama, Oklahoma State, and Northwestern. Meaning, Northwestern didn't beat some fake teams. They beat Iowa. They beat Wisconsin. A solid Purdue team. Teams that, despite those losses to Northwestern, are still ranked because they are good. So, unlike saying Michigan State beat Michigan, which was a quote-unquote top 15 win, it wasn't really. Michigan is clearly a fraud, and that is not to bag on Michigan. All the time, teams are ranked early on in the season, you beat them, and you see they're not what they thought they were. Penn State came in top 10. They are now 1-5. It happens. So while Indiana can say they beat top 10 Penn State, that's not a top 10 win. Northwestern, if they are still 6-0 and outside two-thirds of the way into the season, they're ranked 7th or 8th right now. That is a top 10 win. Even after the loss, they're still top 15. That is a real win. There's no question that's the biggest win of the Mel Tucker era. Now, I mean, as far as being Michigan, that's a huge win for recruiting and in-state momentum and the rivalry and the trash talk and all that comes with it. But as far as X's and O's, the real win, the biggest one just happened on Saturday. And for Michigan State to do that after being forced into a de facto bye week because the Maryland game got canceled is very impressive. impressive. Let's try that word again. Impressive. <laughs> it was it was my only positive takeaway following the Indiana game, and now I know I'm not just full of shit and I was correct in seeing thinking I saw what I saw. And that was when Michigan State was down 24-0 at the half after having lost 49 to 7 the week prior. You could have seen them quit and it wouldn't have been justified but it would have been almost understandable like you could see how someone would be demoralized and not just fold but it's a little easier to 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 get run to get run over that happens you see it happen all the time but they didn't do that and they fought hard for a scoreless second half against indiana and i was trying to be like johnny sunshine and See it as a positive because I thought that I saw some heart, and then you hear in in this last week Mel Tucker talking about how he likes the sounds of his practice now. They sound like what they're supposed to sound like: hard hitting, instructing, supporting, all those things. And to come out on Saturday as a 13-point underdog, jump out to a 17-0 lead. Only to flounder it and face some true adversity and come back and get the win? That can't be overstated. That is everything for this team. And the best part was, at least in a few instances, the guy, the people who did it. So let's start on offense because I owe Rocky Lombardi and Connor Hayward an apology. I said I didn't need to see them play another snap for Michigan State. But in my defense, it was because... I, was, I said Michigan State needed to just play for the future. And that's what Mel Tucker said too. And this is what he felt was best for playing for the future. He thought Rocky Lombardi was the way to go. And I think we would have obviously seen more Jordan Simmons, which is playing for the future, had he been healthy enough to play. But he wasn't, so Hayward got the nod. And first of all, as far as Rocky, it's really simple. He didn't make the big mistakes. He made one. He had one nauseating interception that could have lost them the game. But fortunately for Michigan State, I would say the defense bailed them out, although Northwestern just fumbled a little toss handoff, and the the defense was able to fall on it. But either way, they got him the ball right back, and he marched down and tied up the game. And outside of that one horrible play, he was showing signs of growth right before our eyes. I mean, there there were times, one play in particular, where he's rolling right, rolling right, and you can see so badly with every fiber of his being, he wants to force this ball into traffic. And he tucks his tail between his legs, tucks the ball under his arm, and instead, he scampers for seven yards and gets his team in a better down and distance. And that's all he has done needed to do in order to hold on to the starting role. Just don't turn the ball over three times, four times, five times, which he's done on multiple occasions. He used his legs more than ever, 10 carries for 65 yards, and some of those I believe were the biggest plays of the game. He picked up four first downs on third down via the scramble. One was a 3rd and 14 draw. He extended a play and ran for for 12 in the fourth quarter on a 3rd and 10 at midfield. And then to essentially ice the game, he kept the zone read for 10 yards on 3rd and 7 in the final two minutes. Smart decisions, not forcing the ball into tight windows, and using his legs. That's all he's needed to do to stay on the field. And dare I say, did he realize that? Not to mention... He still has the best deep ball of any Michigan State quarterback that I've seen. Perhaps of all time. Connor Cook and Kirk Cousins were miles better. Worlds better. Especially as college quarterbacks. But Rocky's ability to hit the deep ball changes everything for this offense. That pass on the second drive to Jalen Naylor, when he hit him perfectly in stride for a 75-yard touchdown. I mean, that it's perfect. That's a Russell Wilson deep ball. That separates him. He is never, ever, ever, ever going to be a guy who completes 68% of his passes. But eliminate the egregious mistakes. I mean, of course, you can throw a pick here and there, a tip ball or something, but none of those floaters on screen passes, no forcing it into double coverage down the field, no scrambling and chucking it across your body. Just keep using your legs, make the safer play, unless you're taking a deep shot, and Michigan State has someone who can move the ball and who can lead the offense. It also helps when you don't get sacked. And credit to the offensive line are Curie, DuPlain, Samac, Carrick, Jarvis, all five of them. They all deserve credit for this game, the best game of the season. In, in Michigan State's two wins, they have allowed no sacks. That's not a coincidence. And even more so than keeping Lombardi upright, they opened up some running holes. That was the first time Michigan State has run the ball against a, a competent defense that successfully since 2015. That's not an exaggeration either. It has been five years since we've seen that. Michigan State came into the country... <laughs> That's my third time doing something like that. I apologize. Michigan State came into the game second to last in the country... In running the ball. an average better than 4 yards per carry. Against a top 12 team against the run. That's extremely impressive. Offensive line coach Chris uh, Kapovic. He has a track record of imp- improving offensive lines. Whether that was his 7 years at North Carolina. Where they were the best offense they've ever been. Or his last year at, at Colorado. Where he took them from a bottom 4 unit in the Pac-12. To a top 4 unit in the Pac-12. In one year. And he quickly seems to be doing that here. Michigan State knows it has receivers. Naylor, Reed, White, who couldn't play, etc. They have more guys coming in. But you get an established run game. That's what is going to get Michigan State back to relevancy as quickly as anything. It starts up front. That's what Jay Johnson wants to do in this offense. Run the ball and take deep shots. And that's what Michigan State was able to do successfully. And then if you look on defense, Michigan State has two players who should be first team all Big Ten. And maybe three who should be first or second team. And one of them at each level. And there are two guys in the secondary who I want to single out specifically. First, Shaq Brown has made as many strides as a ball hawk and a corner as I've seen in in a one-year turnaround at Michigan State. I mean, the five picks are what jumps out at you. He leads the Big Ten. He's tied for the lead in the nation. Of course, that is what everybody's going to say, and that is a a huge thing. But it's not just getting interceptions. Sometimes you can be in the right place at the right time for a few picks. He's, He's actually making plays on the ball to get the interception. They're not just falling into his arms. He's not getting beat deep. He's not missing tackles when a receiver does catch the ball. He's sound and has emerged as someone who can be another lockdown corner under Harlan Barnett. And I don't think Barnett coming back and the defensive backs playing better, even if it is a new scheme, is a coincidence. From 2011 to 2015, when the ball went up, if you're watching on TV and, and the opponent took a deep shot and the ball goes off the screen, you just felt... Like, either it was going to be incomplete, or it was going to be picked. Whether it was Johnny Adams, Darkwise Dinard, Trey Waynes, what have you. That's just how you felt. But the last four years, it felt like it was going to be a flag, or a big play was coming for the other team. It is slowly, but surely, kind of starting to flip back. I'm not saying it's no-fly zone. Of course there's a ton of work to do. But the defensive backfield, they're not giving up a lot of big plays this year. And yes, that is the the whole essence of having five defensive backs on the field. But hey, it's working. (laughs) They're not giving up big plays through the air. Rutgers didn't have big plays through the air. Iowa didn't have big plays through the air. Michigan didn't have big plays through the air. Northwestern didn't have big plays through the air. Indiana, they did. And that's part of the learning process. And then staying in that unit... The other guy who jumped off the screen was Angelo Gross. And that's the most exciting development from Saturday. Gross is a dude. Like a dude's dude. The 5'10 corner from Ohio. He was everywhere on Saturday. Six tackles, five solo. He defended a pass. I mean, tackling in space. Hitting hard. Like laying lumber. And this dude is 175 pounds soaking wet. He's getting time more than just at the nickel now. He's getting to play on the outside too. And as fun as it is to see the next two guys who I'm going to mention making plays, they're both seniors. It's more fun when it's a true freshman. Because that speaks to the future. And that's all this team is playing for. Third, and the best player on the defense without question, is Antoine Simmons. Big 10 defensive player of the week, 13 tackles, two for the loss, the tone setter on the first drive to Stonewall Northwestern after Michigan State went three and out to open the game. I mean, he's more than just a defender. He is exactly who Michigan State needs as a leader when flipping over this program. Who he reminds me of, not as a player, but as a person, is Darian Harris, who is still in this program and is one of the director of, uh, of, of player development. Just leaders, just good guys, smart guys, who happen to be damn good on the football field. And no shade to Darian, Antoine is a step ahead of where he was. I mean, he came in in 2017 and experienced that 10-3 and 3 year his first year, and the next two were very disappointing. He didn't sulk. He didn't complain. He never looked to the, to the portal. He kept his head down, embraced this new staff, And now he's going to be a first-team All-Big Ten linebacker. And he's going to be drafted in the middle rounds of the NFL draft. He's a leader. He's a good kid. And he's very close personally with one of my best friends. Shout-out Hoon and Shelby and Shannon. But that's not even why I'm talking him up. And it's also not because he went to my former high school. Double shout-out. Ann Arbor Pioneer. He blows up dudes who are 100 pounds bigger than him. On a consistent basis. He's never out of place. He could start for... Any team in the country. And he's the only player on Michigan State's roster you could say that about. And it's a pleasure watching him. And then there's Naquan Jones, who was so dominant at the line of scrimmage against the team from his hometown that he looked like he was playing with something to prove. I mean, shedding double teams, making tackles in the backfield, just eating up space on run plays between the tackles so the linebackers can spin down and wrap up. Northwestern ran 37 times for a paltry 63 yards. The longest rush was eight yards. And he sets the tone in the middle, letting guys like Drew Beasley and Jake Panachute clean things up on the outside. And Jalen Hunt, hopefully his injury is not too serious. I imagine he's done for the year. Next to him is another one of those extremely exciting young guys. Michael Fletcher looked good too. I mean, there are names, there are guys who you can see are going to be pieces next year. And the point is this. These guys aren't learning the scheme, and it's showing. It's not going to be pretty against Ohio State if they do play. But isn't that kind of obvious? I mean, who is expecting to keep it close against Ohio State in the Big Ten this year? Probably no one. Certainly not a team with a first-year head coach with all the young guys that Michigan State has to play. But you know what this win does do? even if it doesn't guarantee you play Ohio State super close, not only does it build momentum inside the program and for recruiting, Mel has made it very clear what he wants to do as far as the transfer portal. And Michigan State might become like Rutgers did last year, and they might do that this year. Just get a bunch of guys who want to leave their respective Big Ten Ten schools and play right away. And he's not playing favorites. He can tell any of them. Just look at who's playing right now. The guys who earn it will play, bottom line. And that goes a long way when you're trying to get new faces in the building. You can work hard, play the right way, and no matter your age or pedigree, you got a shot. There's no playing favorites. It's nice to see. It's refreshing. And Michigan State going toe-to-toe with a dominant defense like Northwestern and coming out on the other side was a wonderful sight. Mel Tucker, National Coach of the of the Week, Matt Coughlin, co-Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. Simmons, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. The team showed out and held Northwestern to less than 300 yards of offense. And they were clutch. 10 of 21 on third down, while Northwestern went just 5 of 18. They made plays when they needed to make plays. One time of possession against a team whose M.O. is time of possession. It's impressive stuff. And now, if they do play Ohio State... You just want to see more flashes of it from young guys. You can lose, that's fine. Obviously, you don't want to. That goes without saying. But just don't fall behind by 21 because of two turnovers by Rocky Lombardi in the first quarter. Play smart, sound football. If you lose because Ohio State is miles better than you, which they are, nobody's going to lose sleep. But show that you're still growing as a pro ring. And then find a way to beat Penn State, who you are equal to this year. And then you get, who knows, in the crossover, Nebraska, another team you're equal to. Take those two, finish 4-4, four and four, and that is an A-plus season for Michigan State this year. But the first thing was first. I just wanted to shout out the week they had and acknowledge the dudes who made it happen. And from, from the coaching staff to the offense to the defense. Impressive to come out of the gates like that. Great job weathering the storm in the middle. Big time plays from Rocky in the defense uh, when when things started going sideways. And then getting pressure with the front four as the game went on. It it was just fantastic. A fantastic win against a really good team. It was a fun couple days in East Lansing. There's no doubt about it. And so that's going to do it for this week's second show. And... Breaking news, as I'm wrapping this up on a Wednesday afternoon, Michigan will not play against Maryland this weekend. There's still a good chance Michigan State and Ohio State don't play. As we've talked, that game is in question. So we might not have to watch either of our teams lose. So I guess good vibes to keep keep it going. But we'll see what that means for Michigan and Ohio State next week and for what we do on our show next week. But we can figure that out as things happen. As always... Once again, rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later, Michigan.